John chapter number 19. <clears throat> Going to read just a few verses this morning, part of one and then a couple others. We'll start reading in verse number 16, excuse me, verse number 15. We'll just read the first part of this verse. It says, But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Look down to verse number 16. It says, Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Dear Lord, we ask you once again today that you'd reach down and that you would touch us. God, give us strength to preach this morning, but Father, we pray that you would give us an anointing from on high. God, we ask you today that you would make Calvary real to our hearts. God, make that price that was paid on that day real Father, we pray that you would let us realize the love that was shown that day is real. God, we pray today, Lord, if I could say it like this, just to make it real to us today. Strengthen us and encourage us, Father. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to preach on this thought. It was the cross. And I guess you would say it's a very simple uh, simple message, but nonetheless, it's one that I feel compelled to preach today. And I mentioned earlier about that triumphal entry. Today is, again, traditionally in American religion at least, it's the day that we uh, put aside or set aside as Palm Sunday, and again, that's during that that triumphal entry when Jesus uh, prophesied that Jesus would come in on a colt and that people would worship Him. And uh, if you want to see that in Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. He, behold, thy King cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fowl or foal, excuse me, of an ass. And uh, so uh, today we've not yet gotten to the cross. The cross will come a few days from now, but today there is, a, a, as far as what people celebrate, uh, today is a day of victory, a day of, of uh, encouragement. Today is before they begin to shout crucify Him. Today is a day before they begin to, to seek His head for, uh, to, for Calvary. Uh, but nonetheless, we still want to point you to Calvary uh, because without Without it, there would be some things that you and I would not have. Without that cross of Calvary, we would not have some things. And I'll, I'll not bore you with those things, but I do want you to know that without uh, Calvary, there never would have been a manger. If He would have come just in a manger, there would be no need for Calvary. If he would have come just to be born as a, as a virgin with no intention on going to Calvary, there would have been no reason for that virgin birth. But I'm glad that he came as an infant. He came as that child of God in Mary's womb. But he came not just for that, but he came for Calvary. If it weren't for Calvary, there would never have been a borrowed tomb. 
If it weren't for Calvary, there never would have been some women there to anoint the body of Christ. If it never would have been, if it wasn't for Calvary, uh, John and Peter would not have almost killed one another trying to get into the tomb to see that He is not here. He is risen. And I'm glad this morning that there were some things even now in our contemporary age that there are some things uh, that the cross has brought us. And and I, I want to deal with some things today just about this simple thought. It was the cross number one. I want you to know that there was a trip to the cross. Now I read to you this in verse number 15 and 16 and 17. Uh, this comes at the end of their um, uh, kangaroo court, if you will. Uh, this comes at, uh, uh, at the end. This was the sentence uh, that was unjust as far as the legal system goes. Uh, but nonetheless, it was not only prophesied, but it was promised that He would come, as we'll read in a few Scriptures just momentarily, before the foundations of the world. The thing that took place there in that court uh, were ordained by God. And there was a trip to the cross. And first you see there was a, the plan of that trip. You see in verse number 16, Then delivered He... Pilate, him, Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Pilate delivered that prisoner, but I want you to know uh, that the hands of Pilate were not the only one delivering Jesus to that crowd. I believe firmly that it was the hands of God that loosed the hands of Pilate uh, so that Jesus could be offered up that day. I told you about those verses over in First Peter chapter number one, uh, verse number twenty who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We mentioned it, I believe, Wednesday night. We was talking about the, the doctrine of God. And, and we mentioned there in the creation story how that God said, let us make man in our image. I believe before light was ever made, uh, before they ever stepped out on nothing and made everything, I believe that God had already decided uh, that one day there would be a sacrifice needed for these people that He was about to create and His only begotten Son would be that very uh, uh, sacrifice. Be that very one to be given. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter number 13, verse number 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. But listen to this. That was slain from the foundation of the world. There was a plan of this trip. Calvary wasn't an accident. It was a divine assignment, if you will. It was designed to purchase salvation for sinners. Not only that, but we see the place of that trip. Look at verse number 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha. This was that place of the skull. And you, I've, some of you may have been to that, uh, that area of the world in the Holy Land, as they say. Some of you may have been able to stand on that hill. I have never had that grand opportunity. Matter of fact, up until about seven or eight years, I never had a desire to go. I, I held to that, that statement, I'd rather be where God is than where God was. But I, I've got a desire to go and walk where He walked and, and to be where He was and to 
visit that, that grave and to see that hill where He died for me and for you. I've got a desire to go there. I've got a desire to see that. But uh, until then, I have to just go on, on what the Scripture says, that, that this place was called the place of the skull. Some have painted pictures and said that it looked like a skull was in the side of the mountain. Some have made the assumption that it's called that simply because of the amount of deaths that were uh, on that uh, hill called Calvary or Cal- called Golgotha. Uh, and no matter where it, whether it looked like a skull or whether it had the very bones of skull there, uh, it matters not, but that was the place that God intended for His Son to die. Uh, someone wrote and sang this song many years ago. I love the song. Um, uh, it depends on who sings it. First time I heard someone sing it, it was Carl Partain. And he sang A Small Lonely Hill. And it says, In the beginning God stood in the stillness and spoke His creative words. Let there be light and let the heavens appear. Then with uh, His mighty hand He scooped up the canyons. With his fingers traced the courses of the rivers, made the mountains stand tall and still, but then a slight trace of sadness came into his eyes as he made a small, lonely hill. Then he said, let us make man in our image and give him dominion over all. We will walk together in the cool of the evening and I'll help him if he should fall. But I want him to love me because he really wants to. To walk with me by his own will. And then a slight trace of sadness came back into his eyes as he looked toward that small, lonely hill. Then late one evening, God came to the garden. He said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? The birds hushed their singing. In the garden there was silence. You could sense it, for something had died. Then God said, I love them and I won't let them go. For a man, for then a shadow on that hillside appeared. For a man hung there dying, crying, I thirst. But God turned his face toward that small, lonely hill. Now I thank God for his rivers, and I thank him for his mountains and his heaven. How my heart always will, but when I walk into that city where the saved will all praise him, I'll thank him. For that small, lonely hill. Could you imagine as God did create those hills and those valleys and those streams and those rivers and separate the land from the sea, but He had to pull up that hill. He had to plant that tree that one day would be hewn down and made into a cross and planted on that hill with His Son there. There was a plan, there was a place of that trip. There, there's the pain of that trip. He was carried, uh, he carried his cross to Calvary. Other gospels mention Simon of Cyrene, how that he carried the cross for him. And uh, I've seen pictures both uh, that he carried the whole cross, and some have said that he's carried the, just the cross beam, and and some have said he was tied to the cross, and some have said he was nailed to the cross, and some said the nails was through his hands, and others said it was through his wrist. And and we could probably dig deep deep into that. I have my own uh, opinion about it. But I'll not deal with that 
this morning, but I want you to know that uh, that he stumbled under, if you read the Gospels, he stumbled under the load of the cross. One of the soldiers reached out for Simon of Cyrene and, and made him bear that cross the rest of the way up to Calvary. But once there, once there, he had to lay down on that cross. And his hands and his, uh, his feet were nailed to the cross. I can imagine the pain just of that alone. But then as that cross was lifted and his body weight then uh, began to pull on those nails and uh, began to pull on the, the, the weight of his body, began to pull on his joints and on his tendons and, and the metal began to react with the the, uh, the nerves in his wrists or in his hands and, and how that his bones were literally pulled out of joint and how the weight of his chest began to pull and to weigh down. And then as they lifted that cross, and no doubt with not a glimpse of compassion, dropped the cross into that hole. How did the weight of the cross and His body tore tendons and muscles and racked His body with pain? I could imagine as the sun began to beam down and as even... Uh, I believe it was, what was it Mel, what, whatever the actor's name was that, that made that passion of the Christ. And I can remember one scene I had to turn away where there was a crow or some sort that got on the shoulder of one of the thieves and began to, to peck at his face. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the pain that he must have felt? And this is just a cross, not to mention all of the all of the pain and the shame and the agony as first the first blow was struck there in that court while one of the soldiers smote Jesus on the face and then he received those those stripes and how it tore the flesh from his body. You know all of these things. I'm not telling you anything new, but it has to be real to you and I. It has to be something that we remember uh, when we begin to agonize because of this pain and because of that. And we begin to ask God, why God uh, do I have this ache? Why God do I have this pain? We have to look at His very own Son and see the pain that He suffered uh, not for just someone uh, but for everyone. And we it has to be real for us, but then we have to think about how wicked and how how vile we were before that day. We called on Him, but yet He loved us still. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so thankful, Brother Kenny, that He only had to die once. I said, I'm glad He only had to die once. In spite of how many times we've sinned, in spite of how many times we've fallen and failed uh, Him in our Christian life, I'm glad that every drop of blood that was shed from the night before until the very last a drop of blood was shed on the cross of Calvary, I'm glad that it's been enough to cover and to obliterate, to blot out, and I'm telling you to atone every sin that ever has been and that ever was. I'm glad this morning that there there was a pain of that trip. But I'm glad our Savior suffered it. You and I could not have borne it. I believe Jesus knew in His, in His man body, in His flesh, I knew that, I believe that He knew it would be very difficult. Why else would He with great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane say, God... Let this cup pass from me. Let this lot, let what's about to happen, 
let it pass from me. But I'm so thankful that he didn't stop there. I'm glad that he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad that there was, there was a trip that Jesus took. We see the power of that trip. The Bible says in verse number 18 that uh, where they crucified Him there on Golgotha and two others with Him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Now I realize we're talking about Calvary, Brother Jim, but I want you to know that when Jesus gets in the midst, something's about to happen. Amen? I've never shouted on peach preserves, but I was about ready to shout on preserves this morning. Amen? How about I'm going to tell you, when Jesus gets in the middle of something, it does, something's going to get torn up. And here he was, he were, here he was, uh, on the cross, naked, and here he was, shamed, here he was, bloody, and, and beaten, and bruised, and here he was, uh, uh, the object of everyone's ridicule, and here he was in the midst of sinners. Here he was in the midst of the religious crowd that was crying, crucify him, crucify him, away with him, just kill him, we're tired of fighting with him. And this, Brother Jody, this was not something new to them. They despised him from the get-go. And they tried in many instances to get rid of him. But now finally, here he is on the cross. There's a power of that trip. Something happened, Brother Terry. We don't see Jesus taking anybody down the Roman road. We don't see Jesus giving the gospel to anyone, but the Bible says in John chapter number 1 that He is the Word. John chapter number 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Another scripture said that I am the light. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Except the Father draw him, no man can come. But listen, somehow on Calvary, one of those thieves, it's even been said that one of these was a murder. If not, both of them were guilty of murder. Somehow, one of them, Sister Irene, heard that Holy Spirit. And he said, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Oh, the other one was still mocking and ridiculing. He said, If you've got the power, take us all off this cross. The other one said, Don't you understand? We're here because of what we've done. But this man has done nothing. But yet the power of God was shown through His Son there on Calvary when in the most, uh, uh, in the most unusual place, I guess, Miss Denisha, a soul was saved. There on, you're talking about deathbed salvation. People ridicule that, but I'm telling you, I believe God can save somebody even before their last breath. That was the power of that trip. Then we see number two. Number two, I want you to look at the testimony of the cross. I got to hurry. Testimony of the cross. I want you to see number one, the testimony of the writing. Look at verse number 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, if you look back with me in verse number, uh, verse number 15, 
Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. But yet, <laughs> but yet Pilate said, this is Jesus of Nazareth. I told her where he was from. <laughs> but I'm glad he said, but this is who he is. The king of the Jews. But look at this. It says, then the title then read, many of the Jews... For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Hebrew was the language of religion. All of those religious men and women that were crying, crucify him, could plainly read that here was Jesus of Nazareth. And by his own voice, he admitted that he was king of the Jews. It was written in the Greek language, that language of philosophy and that language of culture. Even those that were there just to see uh, the great uh, picture there, the great uh, viewing of this crucifixion of these three men through all of their philosophies and through all of their fine cultures, they seen that here was Jesus. And He is the king of the Jews. But then it was written in Latin. Latin was that language of the law and that language of government. I believe it was Isaiah that said the government shall be upon his shoulders. Isaiah said that there will be a, there will be a, a Messiah. There will be one that would come and even the governments would look to him. And here he was written in the hand or at least by the order of Pilate. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written there so that those religious companies could see, so that those philosophers and so those that were fine cultured could see, but it was written there that so even those that were steeped in law and in government could see that Jesus was the King of the Jews. We see the testimony of the wager. Look with me in verse number 23. The Bible says the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and they made four parts to every soldier apart and also his, uh, uh, also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, for whose it shall be. Listen to this. That the Scripture. Now, they didn't say this, but the writer here, John, says, this happened so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. What did he say? They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. If you look over in Psalm 22, if you want a picture of the, of the crucifixion in the Old Testament, I encourage you to look at Psalm 22. One preacher said that right between, right between the valley in Psalm 23 and the valley in Psalm 21, there is a mountain in Psalm 22. Just read it. But Psalm 22, verse number 18, it says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. John is quoting the psalmist there. And he says that, that this happened because it was prophesied. It was promised that he would be crucified. It was promised that they would not 
rend his garment. You can look over there in uh, Exodus chapter number 39, verse number 22, down through verse number 26, and you can see uh, the type of garment that it may have been. It was a priestly garment that Jesus wore. Now, let's look real quick. Matthew chapter number uh, 26, verse number 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of this witness? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So what we have here is the, the wager, he is beginning in verse number 23, they, they begin to cast lots. They begin to offer a wage for uh, his vesture. But it was forbidden by the, forbidden by the law and was a picture of the end of the high priestly system in Israel. What was? Listen to that verse again. The high priest rent his clothes. Not only was it the end of that high priestly system in Israel, but when Jesus died, we're told that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Matthew 27, verse number 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, or in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. This is a picture of the end of the Old Testament, the Old Testimony system. When Christ died, listen to this, He was the only one whose garments were not torn. The religious crowd tore their garments. Even the temple itself had its garments torn. But here was Jesus. And His robe, His raiment was not rent. Then we see the triumph of the cross. Trying to hurry. Verse number 25. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother and His mother's sister Mary, the, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. He says he saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. And he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. He saith to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple, that disciple, excuse me, took her unto his home. There's a triumph of compassion. Even in his dying hour, even as his enemies were reveling in his death, he took time to have compassion on his mother and on John. He took time to make provision. We don't know much about what has happened from, really from Luke chapter number two or chapter number three. We don't have a whole lot of information about what happened to old brother Joseph. We don't know if somewhere along the line he has passed away, but we know right now that the only ones, at least what the scripture tells us, is that there's three Marys there at the cross and one of them was the mother of Jesus. And he looked at John and he would have only done this if Mary was a widow. And he said, Woman, behold, or, um, behold thy mother to John. I wonder if Jesus and his brothers were taking care. That's right. I said, Jesus and his brothers. Remember, Jesus was the only virgin born, but Mary and Joseph had other children. But I wonder if they had been taking care of him, of her. And now he says, I've got to go away. But John, I want you to take my place. Even in his last hours, the last moments, as we'll soon see, 
He was taking care of others. And he's still doing that today. Look at this. The triumph of a connection. He says in verse number 28, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, the scripture might be filled, he said, I thirst. Now was, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. The Bible says when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, let's stop right there. He said, I thirst. I'm talking about the triumph of connection. The very one that created the streams, the creeks, the springs, the rivers and the seas. The one that filled the oceans with water was thirsty that day. The very one that was was there, if not the very one that spoke these things into existence that day was thirsty. He endured hell. In his hours on the cross that day, I believe he endured the hell that you and I were damned to face. But I'm glad that he did it. He took the hell for you and for I so that you and I would not have to. All we have to do or all we had to do was come to Him and be saved. We see the triumph of completion. He said there in verse number 30. I'm going to try to hurry through this, but I love this. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The final words that were recorded by Jesus Christ here is, It is finished. It could be translated to say, It stands finished and always will be finished. In other words, Jesus is saying, It is done. You've probably heard this, but this phrase is from a a word that is pronounced to telestai. And it means that the work is done. It could be said in many different aspects of someone's life. It could be said when a slave had been given a a job or an assignment to do by his master. And as that slave completed the work, that slave or that worker or that laborer would come to the master and he would say to Telestine, in other words, that the assignment that you've given me is done. Another time that the phrase could be used is when an, when an artist would, would have been commissioned to, to paint some great picture. And as he began to paint, and as he began to, to pour out his life on this painting, and finally everything was complete, and he put the last stroke, the last bit of paint on it, and he stood back and he said to Telestide, finally the last brush stroke is completed. It is a masterpiece. The work is done. Another time that it could be is when a merchant uh, had, or when a man or a woman had borrowed money against themselves or against something for credit and they began to pay and, and pay and pay and finally as they made that final payment uh, they would stand in front of that merchant or in front of that banker and they would say that word to tell us the final payment is done the debt is paid all is clear the slate is clear 
clean. And I'm telling you today, how that on that day on the cross, how Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished. He cried out for everyone to hear, but especially to God, saying, God, the assignment that you gave me is done. It is finished. He cried out to God that this great masterpiece, how that you began to construct so many eons and decades and millennia ago, is done. The final brushstroke on this magnificent art piece is done. But then also he cried. Now believe this, Brother Deke. He cried loud enough so the devil could hear. How that to tell us the debt has been paid. It's been satisfied. Oh, there's no more pay. I'm about to run this morning. There's no more payment needed. Oh, there's no interest to be taken. Oh, there's no reason to accept any other payment in any other form. It is finished. Amen. I'm glad to report report this morning that when Jesus said here uh, that it is finished, uh, that there has never been, nor will there ever be another work, another deed, another thing given, offered uh, to you and I uh, that can add to the payment on that day for your soul and for mine. It is It is finished. We see lastly the treasure of the cross. We see the treasure of accomplishment. I wonder if you've really understood that everything that happened on the cross leading up to and even before, even after those things were prophesied in the Old Testament by those old saints of God, those prophets. And those judges even that, that began to speak words from the Lord, trying to encourage the people of Israel to keep pressing on. There is a Messiah coming. Keep pressing on. But then to look forward to, to, to make sure that they kept themselves in check, that there will be a day that even the Messiah will be killed and will be crucified. There's over 300 promises, prophecies if you will, that were fulfilled during the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ. Someone says 353 promises in the Old Testament that were filled in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. The treasure. <laughs> the treasure of accomplishment. The treasure of atonement. When Jesus died, they pierced his side and blood and water ran out. It said that in verse number 33, they were coming by to speed things up and they were coming by to break everybody's legs so they'd hurry up and die. They had no way to lift themselves up to gain another breath. They, they had no way to lift themselves up to, to try to get some relief. Their, their heart had began to enlarge. It was surrounding itself by, by, it surrounded itself by the, the remaining water that it could, that it could, uh, 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 draw from the rest of its body. Now, as they were able with, with legs that were unbroken, they were able to lift themselves up as painful it may have been to, to gain a breath. And they were coming to break the legs. And they broke the legs of the other men. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that He was already dead. And some would say, oh, that's a sign of weakness. No, no, no. 
Listen to this. It says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that he might believe. But verse 36, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Oh, it wasn't a a symbol of weakness that Jesus had already died and these other men were still alive. It wasn't a It was a prophecy, Brother Jim, that not one bone would be broken. You remember, you remember that this sacrifice had to be spotless without blemish. And here was Jesus offered. The treasure... This is the last thing, the treasure of access. We've seen the treasure of accomplishment, the treasure of atonement now, the treasure of access. When that spear was thrust into the side of the Lord, it opened up a way to God for all that would come to Him by faith. You can come freely, come clearly and cleanly to the Lord. The way of heaven has literally been paved with blood. I said earlier on the, at the onset of the message that every drop of blood from the night before until the day of the crucifixion. Every, I, believe, I believe this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. Never opened a medical book. But I believe this. That every drop of blood in the Lord Jesus' body was wrung out that day on Calvary. As he began to to heave, could no longer breathe. No doubt he was dizzy, lightheaded, suffocating. All of the water from his extremities began to form around his lungs. Began to form around his heart. Began to pull Began to put pressure on that heart. And as that spear pierced his side. I believe it pricked his heart. Pierced his heart. And every drop of blood. That was left in his body. Began to run down the cross that day. Right along with that water. That had suffocated him. Why would he do this? Nathan, he did it for you. Brother Bobby, he did it for you. Miss Abby Grace, he did it for you. Brother David, he did it for you. Why would he suffer these things? Because he knew that this was the only way that people could come to the Father. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't Golgotha. It wasn't what they call Via Dolorosa, the road to the cross. It wasn't the, the court. 
It wasn't the garden. It was the cross. It was the cross that we needed. Someone said this, and you could come with a song of invitation. Someone said this, that all of those men and women of the Old Testament looked towards the cross. And all of those men and all of those women from the end of the Old Testament till now look back to the cross. Those old saints were looking at the promise that had been given and they were living and they were waiting for that promise. And now, they look back and they're thankful because of what happened on the cross. But I'm glad that we don't just have to wait. I'm glad that we don't just have to hope that what was done on the cross is sufficient for today. You see, Brother Deke, he could have died on that cross and that had been the end of the story. If we had left right now, it had been horrible. Brother John, it had been horrible. Jesus is dead. But you continue to read. And he was placed in a tomb that wasn't his. He said, the birds of the air and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And even in his death, Brother Deke, he didn't have his own grave. He didn't need it. (laughs) Old Joseph said, I've got one. And I believe, Brother Kenny, he knew that he wasn't going to need it very long. I got one that you can borrow. Place Jesus in that borrowed tomb. And that religious crowd still scared that something was going to happen. Put soldiers there at the door. Said, you guard it unless somebody comes and steals his body, steals his body away. Somehow, no, I believe it's, I believe it was Brother Buster Seaton preached about Jesus going down to hell. And I believe Scripture will line it up, will back it up that He went to the depths to preach the Gospel to those saints of yesteryear so that they would know that their faith was not in vain so that they know that that life of, 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 of fear and that life of, of, of sacrifice was finally worth it and they, they believed, I believe that. But Brother Kenny, on that third day, those women came by and they wanted to anoint. Now you, now you be easy on them women. Be easy on them women. They came to anoint him. And, and at first it sounds like they doubted. Jesus had already told them in three days I'm going to get up. But they were, they were in torment. They were worried and they were scared. It was Jesus that had just died. At least let's go and give him a proper burial anoint his body and they came and they were fearful all over again because the stone was gone and and Jesus wasn't there they went back and they told the disciples and here come Peter and John and John outran Peter and he looked inside he didn't see Jesus he sent an angel and said why seek ye the living among the dead and he's seen that napkin. He's seen that face. Shroud. Folded. They talk about that later. But finally we see on the road to Emmaus. There was two men talking about the crucifixion. 
It was two men talking about the body of Jesus that was mysteriously gone. But on the road to Emmaus, Jesus said, I'm the one. And He showed Himself to over 500 people that He's arisen. And I'm glad today, and I know today's not Easter, but Sister Jean, I'm glad today that I can with full assurance in my heart declare to you and everybody else that He is alive. That He is risen. Our story didn't end on the cross. Our story didn't end in the grave. Our story is yet to be finished. Amen. He's coming back one day. He's going to raise us up one day. We're going to live for all eternity with Him. Woo! I'm thankful today that it was the cross. It was the cross that made a way for you and I to get to Jesus. Brother David, you sing. Dear God, we thank you. God, we praise you, Lord. On a hill far away, stood in.